Hey, Anna, have you heard about the eight-year-old girl who has discovered 18 asteroids? It sounds like an intro to a joke or something. Um, I only heard about it because you told me about it. Incredible. I mean, this Amazing. is the possibly the youngest astronomer in the world, made 18 discoveries of asteroids. I well, How many have I discovered? Zero. It's 18 more than me. Well, but... <laughs> Okay. At eight years old, I was also playing with like 18 My Little Ponies. I was not discovering asteroids. I know. It, this Don't is, worry, you'll get there. I, I will. You're just okay. a late bloomer. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to, maybe I could write her an email and she can uh, give me yeah. some advice. So her, her name is Nicole Oliveira. She is from Brazil and she basically kind of poured over this uh, this data, this old data that's been <laughs> around. And the, one of my favorite pictures of her in this, like, in this, the, the news press releases is showing mm-hmm. her at her computer where she has two monitors Computers, going. Computers, right? Yeah, yeah. She has two monitors <laughs> going. She has, like, a little stuffed animal on the on the desk. It's, like, the most oh adorable thing. But and... isn't the stuffed animal, was it? Because you showed me that, you did show me the picture. Wasn't it of, of an astronaut? Oh, yeah. It was, it was like, a doll. Like, isn't that cute? Yeah, yeah. Even, the, even her play is, like, astronauts I know. in, like, space. It's so I mean, cute. I'm kind of thinking, like, this is incredible. And I'm also thinking, like, you know, don't start doing jobs yet. Like, save it. Wait till you're older. <laughs> it's, right. Jobs aren't all fun like that. Yeah. Well, they're not. Well. Ours is ours Yeah. Is fun. Ours most is fun. jobs aren't fun like that. <laughs> I mean, if you're discovering 18 it's asteroids, I guess that's that's what I need to do. I need to put that on the bucket list. <laughs> okay. I think you should not compare yourself to this girl. <laughs> I think you're, this is, you're different. You're your own person. I know, and, and it's 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 it's. You're like that's the problem. It's hard. To, it's hard to match yourself up to the achievements of an eight year old girl, and you come up lacking. <laughs> it's re- well, she's an extraordinary eight year old girl. To it's, be fair, it's awesome. I oh am my totally encouraging. And uh, <laughs> all right, I'm gonna start now. I'm gonna get my two computers set up. That's I'll get my stuffed animal. I'm gonna start. You can barely work the one computer. No, I can't. Is that? I'm never gonna do it. I mean, it, you're you're not. But you know what? You can follow her career one day. Maybe you can. We'll interview her on the podcast and oh, be like, "Absolutely, hey, you're ten and you discovered another planet or whatever it's going to be." I mean, imagine what she's going to do. I know I mean, it's the, the, the crazy. Potential. Oh my gosh! Well, Unbelievable. all right, so it's inspiring me. I'm, I'm feeling. Oh, good. I'm feeling like we can do this stuff. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Let's get on it. From the studios of Cincinnati Public Radio, I'm Dean Regus, and this is Looking Up. And I'm Anna Heeman. We're both from the oldest public observatory in the United States, the Cincinnati Observatory, where we get to share the wonders of the universe with thousands of people every year. And now we're doing the same with this podcast. We love talking to astronauts, scientists, authors, and other colorful characters about topics like astronomy and space science. And our guest today is astronomer, educator, and fellow veteran podcaster, the host of Astronomy Cast and director of CosmoQuest, Pamela Gay. All right, so you've decided to not be insecure about the eight-year-old astronomer, and you're inspired by her. Oh, definitely. You're I, not I, feeling... It's so cool because Very this cool. is all this stuff is accessible to people. I mean, she's, you know, they, I always like they, they put it on the, the title, like, amateur astronomer. Yeah, you're eight. You're an amateur. That's right. <laughs> That's but, right. Um, you know, I think we should hire her. I think that would be good. We should yeah. hire her at the Cincinnati Observatory. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but, you know, it, it shows, like, that there is there's so much roles that, that 
the common citizens can do and that uh, mm-hmm. anybody even if you don't necessarily have an astronomy background and and the the blurring of the lines between amateur and professional astronomer is really that's something that's been around forever um but it it's it's still there i know that there's like this kind of uh, mystique that a you know PhD astronomers have, and that they're mm-hmm. you know, but the amateur astronomers are they are right there, and they are making some amazing discoveries. And, incredible. Uh, so uh, the, there's the, what I kind of hear is that there's there's so much data. We have so many telescopes mm. out there collecting so much that mm-hmm. the the pros can't go through it all. And this is uh, there's ways you can make some real amazing discoveries just from your own home. With your own stuffed animals on the desk and everything. <laughs> get two monitors. That's right. And just get going. Well, and I think it's great that people, I mean, obviously there's uh, telescopes that could be a little pricier, but people can get a telescope and start looking and there's really no barrier in that way and they can see neat things. And I think that's why um, astronomy is so popular because it's like you don't have to necessarily qualify to be considered like, you know, you can say that you're an astronomer because you have an interest in and love Looking at the stars in space. I mean, and why get weird about titles? Yeah, so. exactly. And I, I think there's, you know, for us, the Cincinnati Observatory was founded by a self-taught guy, uh-huh. Orm, Ormsby McKnight Mitchell, who he even he kind of faced a little bit of this, like when he would go to Europe and oh. you know, people would say, well, you know. I guess you're an astronomer. I mean, it's like uh, he, you know, he was, uh, you know, he had to kind of make these accomplishments on his own. And uh, and I, we see this today, too. I mean, there's lots of amateur astronomers making discoveries of comets. And mm-hmm. uh, the most recent one, which was really cool, is this amateur astronomer observed a, a, an asteroid hitting Jupiter. I mean, Yikes. talk about cool stuff. You got stuff exploding into other stuff. I mean, that's like awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you think you're watching on your telescope. You're like, oh, that, that can't be good. <laughs> like, you're just trying to look at some beautiful planet. And it's like, oh, crap. Was that an explosion? <laughs> yeah. Except for, oh, man. Well, yeah, that's a good question. What Maybe would, he knew it was What would happen. my reaction be if I would actually witness it? Would I be like... Well, see, when you first said that, my first reaction would be like, I'd be like cheering, be like, "What? Yeah! Oh my god! Awesome! I saw that!" But then, (laughs) but then maybe you're right. Maybe be like, "Oh my gosh, that's not good." (laughs) No, you would come and tell us or say something to me, and I'd be like, "That's awful!" Is like, is is Jupiter okay? You'd be like, "Oh yeah, I didn't think about that." Like, that's true. And then I'd be like, "Oh my gosh, it's happened." Dean is now. A crank file. <laughs> Did he really see? Did, that? Is there anybody he... who can corroborate this? Right, he's starting to this see stuff. Seems, um, but no, I, I, I mean that's amazing because you're right. I mean, how can the scientists of the world, the astronomers of the world, really be able to look at everything all the time? Yeah, they have to do. Whatever that, what do you do? Whatever people do in their spare time. Yeah, I you mean, know, you do stuff. Have some spare no, time. I get it. Yeah. I don't know what that your hobbies like, and but... things, right? <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but and and to be clear, he it, well, actually, I don't know with this case, but in previous cases of amateurs uh, seeing stuff hitting Jupiter, there's been about I'm trying to think at least three other ones where amateur astronomers have seen stuff hitting Jupiter. No really? professionals ever photographed it. No, nobody is. They, they really ne- no. They they can go back to data and confirm sometimes, but it's always an amateur. Ever since that mm-hmm. comet Shoemaker Levy nine hit Jupiter mm-hmm. in 1994, mm-hmm. all the other hits have been documented by amateurs. 
So mm-hmm. they go back over. I mean, they basically set up their camera. They aim it at Jupiter, mm-hmm. record, you know, take video and, and still shots, but mostly video. And then they go back afterwards and they see this blip and they're like, oh, where'd that come from? And then they have to say, all right, well, did is that my camera or is that the real thing? Oh, yeah. And they get it confirmed and bingo, you made a discovery of some giant explosion. I guess explosion. you don't get to name an explosion. No, you that's the downside. Name... That's the downside. Yeah, so that's... you're you're a short-lived celebrity in the amateur astronomy community. But uh, but still uh, got some got some cred there if yeah. you discover an explosion yeah. or observe an explosion. Yeah, definitely. So, Man. so we've got that. We've got eight-year-olds uh, discovering Eight stuff. and. So, you know, I I think we've talked about this of of my childhood, but what did you want to be when you, you know, when you were eight? What great and oh, man. lofty astronomical accomplishments were in your mind? Um, that would have to lie if it was astronomical. I really wanted a, a horse. Yeah, yeah. I didn't live in a neighborhood, but I sold pictures of horses yes. that I drew, not like a picture I took. Like okay. I drew a picture and I sold them. Like my aunt lived near us and our cousins, and I was like, I'm saving up for a horse because I'm going to be a, I guess, an equestrian. I don't really know. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't anything astronomical. I'm sorry about that. But. Um, I did live in the country, mm-hmm. as we've talked about, and mm-hmm. we did used to um, – I actually just thought of this um, memory because we used to put blankets out and try to look at stars and try to find, you know, comets and things. And so, you know, I guess at that point I should have been sitting with two monitors and trying to find um, asteroids. But I was just like a dope out on a blanket with my, you know, again, probably like my My Little Pony sleeping bag mm-hmm. and just kind of observing but I think it's cool because maybe you like something when you're a little kid, but you don't know how to make it into something that you could do for a living. I feel like that's something that happens a lot. Like this little girl figured it out. And it's so inspirational because that can be really crushing when you like realize you can't just ride a horse for a living. <laughs> I'm not speaking from experience. I'm saying in general, but, you know, how to, you know, be able to turn your passion into what you get to get to do is like so cool. Yeah. I think that's what kind of gets me about the story. It's just, yeah, that you find that at that age and that clicks. It's mm-hmm. so cool. And, uh, it's amazing. you know, we'll have to get you a horse though. We got to make this, <laughs> we got to make this dream. I'm actually really scared of horses. You are now? Oh. I, well, I, I did get to, to ride one, I, I, you know, but I, they're very, they're, they're big and they smell weird. Yeah. Which is, it's fine, but yeah. So, you know, when you're eight, but you you were that was during your donut selling days, weren't you? Yeah, you were older I was when you were selling donut donuts, sales, right? But, uh, you're you're my... like, wait a minute, donut sales isn't really a door to door donut sales. Yeah, that was a short lived. Oh uh, my god, I was an entrepreneur. I've always been yeah. that. I think, uh, but uh, yeah, it was my. If I were to go back to eight year old time frame, that was when I was really into football. Like I really thought I was. That's how you play do like football. football yeah. I really thought I was going to play football. You thought you were going to like as a. I kicker, thought I had the skills. You were gonna like play. No, no, oh, oh, okay. Be, I'm sorry. I was gonna be linebacker, which would you know is completely hilarious. I'm not laughing at your dream. I'm just like that's brave. Yeah, good, good no, for you. You can laugh at the dream too. It was. <laughs> it was you would get like crushed. So I, I never got to fulfill that dream, being only 160 pounds. <laughs> just, it's very very skinny and slight of build. 
Um, but good for you. <laughs> yeah. So if I wanted to fulfill that dream somehow, I I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind trying to catch a football from okay. our glorious quarterback here in Cincinnati, Joe Burrow. Do you know he's into astronomy? He is also my neighbor. So what? he is not too far from my house. So Joe Burrow out there, also <gasps> a science guy. Who, yeah. We love you here on the podcast. Oh, my gosh. If you if you you could probably throw the football from your house to my house. <laughs> this is why you need a dog, Dean. If you could walk your dog past Joe Burrow's house, it all of a sudden it's like instant connection. Yeah, I think you or might be right. Something. We'll yeah. get you a prop dog. You can borrow it. Yeah, dog. I'll just have to try to we'll t- see if we can make this happen. I'm sure. And you want to catch a pass from Joe Burrow. I would like to attempt if he could throw it lightly. Like, I thought you were gonna <laughs> say if he could throw it fi- I'm like, I think he can throw it fine. I think you would have throw- to catch it lightly. It would be curious to, we could like work up to speed. Like he'd start slow and then, you know. You know, that's this is what I like. I've known you for many, many years and this is if somebody was like, Where does this rank on Dean's list of things you want to do? I'd be like, Oh, way at the bottom. But mm-hmm. who knew? This is something that you really yeah, Joe, let's do this. Yeah, I, I think it would be interesting. We have space at the observatory. <laughs> well, we could we could make a scientific experiment and clock the speed of the ball. Oh, yeah. How fast of a ball. Let's would... not nerd it up too much. Let's uh, well, just, just or, enjoy it. Well, I think we could make it a little jazzy where you could say, like, how fast of a, a ball he could throw that would um. break one of my fingers, something like that. <laughs> you know, like, we could go to the... <laughs> that is a real commitment. Because like... I would assume a normal normal football thrown at me would, would break <laughs> something. I would assume. I, I you need to make sure it's a nice, like arching, not like That's a, not like a, you know. That's what I think. A, would be a best. drilled, yeah. You, yeah. You're, you're, you, yeah. We need to be careful. <laughs> wow. Well, okay. Well, that's something we're going to put on our, on your bucket list, on our podcast bucket yeah. list. Yeah, and we'll, we'll turn it into some kind of citizen science project, or at least, yeah. at least say we are. And I'll like be the commentary. All right. That and sounds... maybe like the medic who has to go out and like slap you around and be like, wake up. Oh, it's. Fingers fell off again. At least eight out of ten functioning fingers still. He'll be fine. Great job, Joe. (laughs) That's right. I can hopefully still uh, uh, maybe uh, discover an asteroid, even even my mangled form. Don't worry. You've got time. (laughs) You don't need your hands for that. You just use your eyes. There we go. We'll wear like goggles. You can goggles. Don't don't mess with the eyes. That's 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 the money makers. (laughs) There you go. As we here at Looking Up rapidly approach our 100th episode, boy, we've still got a ways to go to catch up to our next guest, who is the host of one of the longest-running astronomy podcasts out there, Astronomy Cast. She is also the director of a community collaborative astronomy and space science group called CosmoQuest. This is Pamela Gay. Pamela, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Dean. How are you doing today? Oh, we are doing great. We're so excited to have you on. Um, I got to go way back because when I first met you at a conference sometime in the 2000s, you were describing this like new way of communicating to people, like this podcast thing and you know, virtual reality stuff. And I was like, who is this person from the future? And what is she talking <laughs> about? And so here you are still going strong with Astronomy Cast. Uh, way back in 2006, it started. How did how did it get started, and how in the world did you invent the podcast? No, is that too much? Is that too, is that giving you too much credit? Well, so I didn't exactly invent the podcast, but the first podcast I did, Slacker Astronomy, uh, with Travis Searle and Aaron Price, we launched that February 14th, 2005, and we were the first science podcast out there. And Adam Curry in the old school podcast directory where we all started back before Apple iTunes was a thing, he had to add the science and technology 
category entirely for us. Uh, We did that show for about a year and a half. And uh, Aaron went to graduate school. I started a new job as faculty. And we realized that doing a slightly off-color comedy sketch astronomy show might not be the best things for our careers (laughs) at those formative times. And uh, so... Bill Plate introduced me to Fraser Kane and said, hey, both of you asked me about starting a podcast. Work together, people. And it came out of that introduction. And 15 years later, we're still going strong. Oh, my gosh. 15 years. That, that's incredible. Can you tell everybody a little more about kind of the format of your show and kind of how you how you think up your topics and, and uh, what you're going to discuss? Well, the the format's pretty simple. Fraser is an astronomy lover. He's uh, the publisher of Universe Today. And we sit down with a general topic picked and then go wherever Fraser's mind goes. And he (laughs) comes at it with the creativity, curiosity of an astronomy lover who just wants to understand everything about how we understand what we understand about this universe we all share. It it all started out with the two of us sitting down and recording him in Vancouver, me here in Edwardsville, Illinois, while chatting over Skype. And as the technology has advanced, we've moved with it. We, We were one of the first groups on Google Hangouts, and we started streaming our recording sessions, essentially doing the live studio audience recording and then editing things before they go to the podcast. And today we go out on YouTube Live and on the CosmoQuest X Twitch channel every Friday as we record. Wow. I mean, it's just incredible. And hooking up with Fraser is just like, he, he's an awesome guy. And uh, it's a, yeah, it was a, a match made, that's for sure. Um, now, on the topic of CosmoQuest, uh, I was really honored to be kind of part of your CosmoQuestathon earlier this summer, where you kind of had this online conference that went, you know, was broadcast all around the world. We had people from Asia and Africa and Europe tuning in. Um, Tell us a little more about the CosmoQuest and its kind of origin and mission. So CosmoQuest is a place where we want to give any curious member of the public the opportunity to be part of not just learning science, not just doing science, but doing both simultaneously. There's this set of amazing projects out there that invite people to come and do science with the professionals. Then there are a ton of amazing educational websites out there that invite people to come and learn astronomy. And in doing citizen science, I started out, I was one of the people that originated the grants for the Zooniverse project. And in doing that, we, we were focused on getting people doing science, getting people doing science, getting people doing science. And Fraser, Fraser, who's always that bug in my ear, was like, you're not treating people like you treat your undergrads. You're not giving them those chances to be mentored, to learn, to essentially sit beside you in your office. And for a long time, I was like, yeah, but I can't. Tech doesn't allow it. It's too expensive. And then Google Hangouts came out. And suddenly... I could work virtually for free with anyone anywhere in the world. And that was where um, we were like, okay, now it's time. And Fraser and I sat down in a bar at Dragon Con 
and plotted out all of how we would build this online home for doing research, learning science all together, what this would look like. And we've been working to build it ever since. We're currently in a lull between projects as we do a massive update to all of our software. And when we come back, hopefully in the next few weeks, we're going to be inviting people to help us continue mapping out the moon as we work to build data that will allow us to train uh, machine learning algorithms. Machine learning algorithms need someone to teach them. So we're going to teach the people and the people are going to teach the software. Wow, that's incredible. Can you talk to us a little bit about where this passion for citizen science comes from, you know, for you personally? It's something that actually originates from when I was young in a lot of ways. I grew up in Boston, reading stories of the Harvard College women, Annie Jump Cannon, Henrietta Lovett, Wilhelmina Fleming, all of these people who really laid the groundwork for a lot of our modern understanding of stars and how we measure distance across our universe. And it went from these women working and doing amazing things to calling in the American Association of Variable Star Observers to take the observations they needed. And what I realized while reading and going down these rabbit holes was there has been this entire population of underappreciated, often unacknowledged people that shaped everything Hubble was able to do. Mm -hmm. And... I always wanted to grow up to be as good as those Harvard College women. And I'm still aspiring to do that. You <laughs> never stop aspiring. And I realized I wanted to be the person who provides that opportunity for all the people who want to contribute, but throughout their life, either had to make job choices that they needed to earn more than you earn in academia to raise a family, or they just couldn't take the 10 years of university necessary to become a professor. I wanted those people who had dreamed of being scientists to be able to follow their dreams no matter what path their life might have taken. Yeah, and and you're uh, you know you don't just play an astronomer. You are an active researcher and uh, you know active astronomer. Uh, what's some of your favorite research you've done? What's some of the the, the favorite projects you've been on personally? <laughs> Discoveries and whatnot. Oh man, so so there's a paper in progress that I can't say anything other than there's a paper in progress and it's related to a annoying asteroid named Bennu. Oh, Bennu. And Bennu. I, I got to be part of the OSIRIS-REx mission pretty much from the day it launched up until, well, I'm still part of it. And that little rock we went to visit, the goal was because there's a very short amount of time between when we'd have the high resolution maps of the surface and when the uh, dress rehearsals needed to start to assure a safe sample return mission. There's a very short time period to select where those samples could be picked from. And so we figured, okay, let's have citizen scientists do it because there just aren't enough planetary science students in the world to solve this problem. But there are people 
everyday people who can do this. So we wrote software, we practiced, we were doing it with the Itakawa images as, as a good practice, figuring Itakawa, which is super rocky in, other, in some places, fairly smooth in other places, overall looks kind of like a gnarled cashew. We figured Bennu would be fairly similar. And I remember sitting at my desk covering the approach to Bennu when they were revealing some of the first high-ish, the first images that allowed us to see what the surface texture was. And I muted my mic for a stream of nasty language because Bennu is rocks on boulders surrounded by more rocks with some dust. And hey, it's throwing rocks just because it can. And we had to find a safe place for our little spacecraft somewhere on that gnarly surface. And in that moment, me and my contacts who were writing the software for the mission realized nothing we had done up to this point was prepared for the reality of that rock. And we managed in just over 90 days to map over 17 million points on the surface of that asteroid in a search for a safe place. And we found the safe place and the mission worked perfectly and retrieved those samples, which will eventually make their way back here to Earth. It's like the plot of Armageddon. I mean, (laughs) not, I mean, the the difficulties of like, you know, it's this crazy, am I supposed to be, I, I respect also the privacy of your project, but is this something I should be worried about? No, no, oh, no. Okay, so good. Bennu, I'm always Bennu, wondering what's happening. Yeah, Bennu is not a risk to humanity. Oh, good. It was it was accidentally a, a risk for our, our spacecraft. Oh. Uh, Dante Loretta told this amazing story of how during the sample selection, the goal was that that the, the mission has what to me will forever look like an angry vacuum cleaner attachment. It has this long <laughs> arm that comes out and at the end of it, it, it has all the tools needed to scarf up a bunch of rock samples. Oh. And, and the okay. plan was to touch the surface of the asteroid while grabbing samples and then just bounce away. But for that to work, you have to have a solid surface. And oh. Bennu is very small. It is a pile of rocks, not actually a solid object. And it turned out that the combination of small size and small rocks gave it the consistency of a ball pit. And the spacecraft (laughs) plunged its arm tens of centimeters into the surface of Bennu. Um, And that was not expected. But that is the only danger Bennu has really posed anything. Okay. That makes me feel... I like the ball pit analogy. It makes me feel like it's fun. Like, it's just a ball pit. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, ball pit full of rocks. It might eat your mission, but hey, it worked. Nobody's perfect. Okay. (laughs) Well, you've teased us with the... uh, Everybody will have to be keeping an eye on uh, Bennu here, and we're going to see all these great things are coming about uh, that mission. I can't wait for it to return, and uh, that's so awesome you were part of it. Um, well, we really thank you for so much for taking the time today, Pamela. This has been a lot of fun. It's it's really been my pleasure. And uh, I hope everyone goes and checks out CosmoQuest.org. And we have a bunch of media, a bunch of projects, and an open Discord where all are welcome. Well, and thank con- you. Congrats on 15 great years and hopefully many, many more. 
Thank you so much. We've been talking with Pamela Gay, host of Astronomy Cast and director of CosmoQuest. For more info about CosmoQuest or links to Astronomy Cast, visit our website, wvxu.org slash looking up. So we're talking about amateur astronomers and citizen scientists, and the big factor fiction question that we're going to be talking about today is, factor fiction, did an amateur astronomer just recently discover another moon of Jupiter? It is almost a fact. It is... Uh, There's no fact, fiction, or maybe. I know. This is a probably. Okay. This is a... We'll it has most likely been discovered. Uh, Jupiter's 80th moon. Uh, wow. Is, it's still kind of new, so they're still trying to confirm and, and all that, but it seems seems like it's going to go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, yeah amateur astronomer named Kay Lee. Uh, this is just something she was pouring over this old data... Uh, and saw this thing that was moving. And as it was moving, it was moving around Jupiter. Teeny tiny little thing, a little smidgen of a moon, Mm -hmm. but that gets the moon count of Jupiter up to 80. It's actually always bothered me that there's only 79 of Jupiter. I'm like, can we just get to a round number, Jupiter? Let's round it on up. Like, get your click just one moon bigger? Yeah. Not a big deal. So, So it's like we think it's like legit. Yeah, it, it seems like it's going to go. There's They haven't finalized it, and so it has to go through all this big process. It's got to be observed by so many people. Does she get to name orbits. Uh, That's the tricky part. So oh. when you usually the discoverer gets to name right. things or at least suggest the name. Mm-hmm. So that's the cool thing. Uh, it cannot be named after a person, uh, living or dead in this case. It usually goes to mythology. That's what they usually do for moons. Uh, the asteroid discoverer, mm. the eight-year-old, she can right. she can name it after anybody she wants. So she could name it after herself. She has 18 to choose from. So I'm curious. Because it's an asteroid, not a yeah, moon? Yeah. So asteroids can be named after anything other than pets, actually, is one of the- Excuse me? Yeah, I know. Yeah. So uh, moons are a little bit... That's discrimination. Uh, I, I don't know why pets... You I... should have told me that beforehand because now I'm like, this is a natural reaction to what is a clear injustice. Pets are incredible. Well, if anybody can fight that that uh, apparently stupid rule, an eight-year-old uh, can probably do it, I would say. She'd be able to make an argument. That ain't cool. Yeah. All right, fine. So she can't name it after, but but so she can name her asteroid, but Kay can't name her moon, which I don't know. Come well, on. She'll, she she did can it. name the moon, but it's kind of like it's uh, got to be it's got to be approved. Parameters. Everything always has to be approved, but uh, they usually are approved. And so the so we're still waiting uh, final, and hopefully by the time the podcast comes out, it will be official. But I agree. 80 moons, nice round number. That is a nice round number but for a nice round planet. Sure enough, I'm sure they'll find another one because a moon, uh, uh, you know, basically what's what's a moon nowadays? That's another thing is uh, moons could be super teeny tiny. They There's no size limitation. Um, it's like a catch-all. Yeah, so it's if, just, if you see any kind of blip, like any kind of light on on your your pictures, and you can see going around the the planet, then mm-hmm. it's a moon. It could be the size of a baseball, it could be the size of a house, or maybe a couple kilometers in diameter. But there's no there's no minimum size for a moon to be. 
So, this is weird. I know. So it could be all sorts how of would, stuff. I wonder how big it is. Do we know how big it is? I, that we don't we know. We don't know yet because it's like they're like top secret stuff. I know. I know. So it's all this stuff. You got to make sure it's all legit and everything. But uh, Well, great looks, job to Kay. It looks pretty good. She That's found awesome. something. And yeah. uh, you know, hopefully, let's say it's the 80th moon and we should name it Amos. <laughs> don't you think? Yes. That is Anna's dog. That's my dog. <laughs> He hates everything and everybody. No, I'm kidding. Actually, he's fine. Yeah, what well, even Amos? Moon Amos, the 80th moon of Jupiter. Amos would love it. And he would actually be like, this is the kind of recognition I'm looking for in life because he thinks he's in charge. As are we all. Right, right, exactly. That's a great suggestion. We don't have to know it's our dog, that it's my dog. They'll just be like, yeah, yeah. Amos is a great name for a moon. Perfect. Okay, yep. All right. It's out there. It's done. We'll Think about it, it, Kay. Think about it. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode of Looking Up. Our thanks again to Pamela Gay for joining us. You can learn more about CosmoQuest or connect to AstronomyCast by visiting wvxu.org slash looking up. Wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find us there. If that happens to be Apple Podcasts, your rating and comments will help others find us. So thanks for helping us out. And if you like what you hear, spread the word. We love to hear your ideas for guests or topics or what you would name a moon even, maybe. You know, find us on Facebook or Twitter or email us at lookingup at wvxu.org. Our theme song and additional music is by Y, that's W-H-Y question mark, from their album Moline, courtesy of Joyful Noise Recordings and Terror Bird Media. Looking Up is a production of Cincinnati Public Radio. Were produced, recorded, and edited by Josh Elstro. Jim Nolan provides additional web assistance. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Anna Heeman. And I'm Dean Regas. Keep looking up.